good. Welcome, welcome. I'd like to give a special welcome to those of you that are visiting us today. Welcome, and we are glad you are here. To those of you that are joining us online, welcome as well. We're happy to have you join us. I'd like you to take a moment and stand up and introduce yourself and shake hands with someone who is nearby. Go ahead and welcome someone. <laughs> well, once again, welcome. We are glad that you are here. Um, a couple announcements for you this morning. You'll notice in your seats in front of you that there is something in there called a Connect card. Now, if you are new, or maybe you have something that you'd like to connect with um, the pastoral team about, we encourage you guys to fill those out um, so that we can know what to pray for you for, um, how we can better um, stand beside you and do life with you. So, connect cards are in front of you if you are sitting down, and those are available. You'll also notice that there are tithe envelopes or offering envelopes, as they're also called. And there are different wooden towers. They're about yay tall. There's a couple of them around the sanctuary. There's one out in the foyer. Um, but if you would like to drop off your offerings that way, as we are not picking up currently, that is a way that you can do it. So those offering cards are in the seats as well for you. Another announcement for you, um, if you've been a part or been paying attention to the youth calendar, you'll know that this Sunday was supposed to be roller skating. Well, due to a scheduling conflict on the roller skating end, um, we will have to be postponing that. Um, there will be an email going out uh, with more information and a new date for the youth roller skating. But just to let you guys know, um, that has been postponed. Trying to think if I'm missing anything. I don't think I am. So anyway, welcome. We are glad you are here. And we are getting ready to uh, worship with music. So go ahead and actually, I like we had changed the order of things. And it's throwing me off still. Um, we are getting ready to pray, actually. We have brought corporate prayer back into um, our time together. And I'm excited about that. So I'm actually going to pass this off to Jesse, who's going to pray with us. Good morning, family. 
I invite you to get in a posture of prayer. If you wish to sit, you may stand or kneel. Good morning, Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. As I come before you on behalf of my church family, I'm feeling both humble and unworthy. Yet, you have loved each of us from creation. That love was put into action with your gift at the cross. As such, you have made a way for us to be reunited with you. You have called us sons and daughters. Therefore, I boldly come before you on behalf of my Richland Church family. I thank you for the numerous blessings that you have provided us. You have sustained us through this recent heat wave. We are now fully open as a church. And what a blessing that is. Meeting together in our study classes, enjoying the potluck in the park, and our men's breakfast were truly high points of this last week. We also thank you for bringing new visitors through our doors each week. May we, may we reach out and share your love with them. We praise your name for you truly are in charge. As a church, we lift up John Smith, Darren Stout, Ken Barnes, Cindy Anderson, Sigrun Curran, and Dean Birch. Each of these individuals have unique needs and they are facing their own challenges. Please draw near to them in a way that they need it most. I am sure there are others within our family of which I am not aware. Please draw near to each one of them in a personal and powerful way. May they feel your presence in the manner that is most appropriate for their situation. I also lift up the balance of our church family. The devil continues to make life difficult for all of us. We know that you are more powerful than the forces of darkness and that you have already defeated the devil at the cross. We claim your victory in our lives and invite you to answer the door when darkness rings the bell. I especially lift up Pastor Sergio as he's bringing us the message that the two of you have been preparing this week. I ask the Holy Spirit to apply the message individually to our lives and situations. As a church family, we praise you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We look forward to when you return in the clouds and take us home to be with you. Amen. May it be.
shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you.
morning, church. I'm always amazed how many people can play instruments in this church. All this time. Yeah, Richard is over there playing the bass beautifully. I, I, I almost ran up to the drum set, you know, and just... <laughs> oh, man, yeah, I, I think, yeah. One of these days, one of these days, you know, but uh, that's just so wonderful. Thank you so much, worship team. Daryl and the team has been, have been doing an amazing, amazing job uh, with our worship. Amen? Amen? So I'm sure most of you have heard of the uh, term home field advantage, right? In fact, here... In Washington State, you have this thing called number 12, right? Number 12 is, is you, right? You're, the, you're, the, you're, the, you're the, the extra player because when the Seattle Seahawks play at home, well, you're number 12, right? In team sports, <laughs> yeah. Fred, you, you don't root for the Seattle Seahawks, do you by any chance? In team sports, the home or hosting team is considered to have a significant advantage over the away team, a visiting team. I mean, obviously, there's some psychological benefits of hometown supporting fans. Uh, there's the psychological uh, benefits or, 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 or challenges that the visiting team has when, when the home team fans are, are cheering or booing, right? There is the refs who have to think about what the rest of the crowd is saying or doing, you know, because of the, of the hometown fans. Uh, there's also, for example, the mental or physical advantages of playing near home. In familiar situations, you know the field, you know exactly where every little dip and, and dent is. Uh, you, the disadvantages are away teams that suffer from, from uh, changing time zones when they have to, when they have to travel or, or climates and altitudes, or from the rigors of travel. I mean, there is no doubt that most experts will say that there is definitely an advantage when you play home. Except for England. <laughs> Last Sunday. Can we, can we have that wonderful image? If you have not heard, oh yeah, there it is. Uh, Italy uh, played against England in the European Cup, which is the second most important cup, last Sunday, and they played in London. Home field advantage. In fact, it was so intense, and the crowd was so loud, that within two minutes, England scored. And all of us that were rooting for the Italians were like, oh, no, you know. But uh, sure enough... Italy was able to come back and score, and then they played overtime, and then they went into shootout, and uh, Italy wins the European Cup. For those of you who didn't know, uh, Chris and I were here, Chris Fargo and I, right? We, had, we watched it on the big screen in the community hall. We were just like, yeah, whoever wants to come, come. It was just Chris and I. That was fine. <laughs> we had some food. 
And we just watched the game. And, and the, you know, Chris is such a calming presence, by the way. <laughs> you know, he, it's like, it's okay, don't worry. They'll win, they'll be fine, you know. It's almost as if he had an insider's note. Now, speaking of shootouts... Yes, thank you. Uh, while we were in here watching Italy beat England, uh, did I mention that Italy, I think I, think I did, yeah, Italy won. Uh, we were totally unaware what was going on outside. What was going on outside, let's put on the other picture, was that uh, there was this house right across the street from the church that's... If you go outside, don't do it now, but later on, go outside. On the corner, that way, is this house. And there was this SWAT team. In fact, Chris went out to throw the garbage, and he comes in because we were ready to leave. It's about 2, 2.30, I think it was. And Chris says, I don't think we're going anywhere. I'm going, I am. I don't know what you mean, you know. And he says, well, you don't understand. Uh, the roads are blocked on both sides. There is a SWAT team out there, and there's uh, policemen. And I'm like, What'd you do, Chris? <laughs> what do I not know about you? And uh, I'm sure some of you have heard about it in the news. Uh, we heard some, some, some guns shooting. Apparently, he had shot the cops from inside the house. And then there was some, some frags uh, thrown. And then also... Um, Smoke bombs, I think, or, or tear gas was thrown into the house. And fortunately, he, uh, he gave up, but not after having done some, some damage in the neighborhood here. I'm just going to give you his first name because I think we ought to pray for him. We ought to pray for his family. Uh, his name is Matt. Uh, now, I spoke to my brothers and my sister that day. First of all, we were texting back and forth because Italy was playing, and that was a big deal. Uh, but also because, you know, my sister said, I thought you moved in a safe place, you know? <laughs> yeah, Roseanne, it doesn't snow here. doesn't get past 100, and, you know, uh, it's very safe here, really. Uh, but I, I, I tell you this, uh, I missed... I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm just, I just, and, and I loved being with Chris. We had a great time. But I think he understands this. I missed being with my brothers watching the game. I missed being together and, and cheering together. Being home in New York. Because I bet there were lots of Italians that went nuts. The last time the Italy won the World Cup, there were Italians driving around in little Fiats everywhere. Little Italian flags everywhere. I miss that. I walked out of here and there's a shootout going on. I mean, there's, like, are, you, are they that upset that Italy won, you know? And I haven't been back in four years. There's nothing like going home. Right? My house is some real Italian food. To see old friends. And family, and real Italian food. Did I mention that? So today I want to talk to you about a hometown reunion that Jesus attended. 
And you would think that as Jesus goes home, he would have home field advantage. But as we read the story, it was actually home field disadvantage. In Mark chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were, what? Amazed. So Jesus, <clears throat> just to give you a little background, had just cast out a legion of demons from a possessed man. He had just healed a woman that was bleeding and just raised a little girl from the dead. I mean, there was a real feeling of victory over evil that energized and encouraged the disciples. People began to feel like this could be the Messiah. And disciples and Jesus made their quick steps to a little place called Nazareth. But just so you understand, Nazareth is the place where people would say, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Kind of like the Bronx, right? Can anything good come out of there? My sister is beginning to say that about Richland, right? But that's a whole other story. <laughs> can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know, there was only about 500 people in Nazareth. That, that, it was a small little village. It was a, it was a no. The only real claim to, flame, to, to frame, to fame, it's easy for say to you. The only claim to fame that, G, that, that Nazareth has is that Jesus was from there. Isn't that interesting? Going home to Nazareth. And yet as Jesus began to make his way into Nazareth, he began to kind of feel a sense of that familiarity. Some of it was really comfortable I believe it cheered his spirit just like it does any one of us as we go back to our places. I remember when we lived in Pennsylvania, we would drive back to New York. We would go across the George Washington Bridge. My wife thought I was crazy, but I would open the windows and go, smell that New York air, you know. <laughs> no cows there, you know. I believe that the smell of jasmine and the sound of the market, the sight of familiar faces, maybe even the cart that he had fixed some years ago that was still working, was very encouraging to him. The warm greetings, the handshakes, and the embraces. Maybe even some people going, my, how you have grown. Mark chapter 6, verse 2 says that they were amazed. Hmm. You know, regardless of the way you may feel about the sun, whether you like it or not, when the sun shines, you look for your sunglasses. Isn't that true? I've been driving my wife's car these last few days because... My car's air conditioning is not working well. And the first day that I was driving, I did not have my sunglasses because they were in my visor in my car. And I'm like, where's my sunglasses? Because right? it was so sunny. And when the sun of righteousness shines, you cannot help but acknowledge his brilliance. Amen? 
and you are amazed. Amazed. Now Mark chapter 6, 2 through 6 goes like this. Where they, they ask these questions. They go, where did this man get these things? They were listening to Jesus and instead of saying, wow, how awesome. What they were saying is their amazement was actually negative. It was where did he get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brothers of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And the Bible says, and they took offense at him. And Jesus says the famous words, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. And when it comes to being a prophet, when it comes to being a Messiah, there is no such thing as home field advantage. And verse 5 is probably some of the saddest words I've ever read in the Bible. He says, he could do, he could not do any miracles there. Except lay his hand on a few sick, sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Can you imagine being so offended by the Messiah that he cannot do miracles amongst us? I mean, what is going on here? There are three revealing questions. Uh, that I want to kind of probe a little bit, especially the third one. Questions that we ask demonstrate, I believe, the posture of our heart. Don't you believe that? The questions are either self-centered or cynical, or they really want to understand. And these questions... These questions hurt the heart of Jesus. And I'm wondering if you've ever asked questions that hurt the heart of Jesus. The first question was, where did this man get these things? What's the wisdom that has been given him? How in the world does he know so much? How does he know these things? The implication, by the way, there from the rabbis and the Pharisees in Nazareth was, if not from us, then it must not be what? Truth. Have you ever heard this kind of language? If it's not from us, then it can't be true. If we didn't publish that book, then it can't be readable. And I don't know where you are at this, and I'm not trying to offend anybody on this, but I've had people go as far as to say, if it's not the King James Version... Hello. I feel really bad for those people in those small little remote villages in Papua New Guinea 
that barely have a written word. And God uses that same word to reach them just like he uses the King James Version, the New International Version, and all other Bibles that we have the privilege to have today. I don't know about you, but when I am studying for a sermon or when I'm studying for something, I've got like four or five, maybe sometimes six different versions open. I say, God, you speak to me. Because I know that these are all in English. And you originally spoke in Hebrew and Aramaic. But I believe that, God, you preserved this word. If it's not from us, then it must not be true. He hasn't been to seminary. Now, some of you know this. Some of you don't. So I just want to make sure you know this. For some of you, this could be really, really hard to listen to, to hear. But I need you to hear this. Uh, I have never been to seminary. I know. Can you believe it? I had a really, really good friend. I mean, really, really good friend. And he did not know this about me. He was a pastor. And we uh, one day uh, went out to lunch. And he was so upset because he was really kind of ticked off about some younger pastors who the local conference that we were working for was hiring that really, uh, you know, they had been to seminary and they had very little experience. And, you know, he's like, you know, Serge, I don't get it. I don't understand. He's going on and on and on about how, how could they hire somebody that's never been to seminary, blah, 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 this and that. And, was, and I looked at him and I go, Paul, I don't know how to tell you this. But I've never been to seminary. And he got red as a beet. I mean, it was like, well, yeah, but you'll, yeah, see, but that's all. It's been our joke ever since. Whenever we have a discussion, an argument, and he's winning, and I'm going, but you're right. You know what? The truth is, I've never been to seminary. You might be right. (laughs) The sad truth is, he's no longer a pastor, and he's no longer in the church. Bigotry and preconceived notions caused them to not be able to embrace the truth that Jesus was giving them. I can only receive someone on the level that I perceive them. You understand this? I can only receive someone on the level that I perceive them. If Jesus is not God to me, then I cannot receive him as God. Even though he is God. Are you getting this? The second question was, what are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? Come on. How is this possible? The insinuation becomes increasingly evident. If it's not truth, then it's lies. And if it's lies, then the miracles are not from God. And if they're not from God, they are from who? Satan. It's amazing how quickly these people from Nazareth got got to that point in their minds. To the point where Jesus, they were offended by him and Jesus could not do miracles. If the picture of God is not bigger than the picture of yourself, you're going to run out of paper. Before God can do anything in your life. 
And then the third question is the one that I really want to concentrate on. And the third question is, isn't this the carpenter? I remember when I first became a believer and the Holy Spirit began to do this work in my life. There was something in me that could not be shut up. I just wanted to share it with everybody. And there were friends who were like, isn't this the drummer? <laughs> you know, isn't this guy the pothead we knew, you know? Like, could God really do that in somebody? Isn't this the carpenter? This is Mary's boy. I mean, come on. We know his brothers. They're no angels. How can a carpenter from Nazareth be the Messiah? I mean, think about that for a second. I don't blame them. Right? I mean, I'm going to take the nicest person in here that I know. Okay? And... I don't know everything about this person. I'm just going to take the nicest person that I know in this room. And I know his wife is going to be like, yeah, okay. But just, just go with me on this, okay? Tom Fisher. Right? How many of you know Tom? Just one of the most loving, gentle, yeah, that kind of a person, right? You just want to, right. But what if I said to you that Tom came to me and said, Serge, I need to tell you something. I'm the Messiah. Right? We would be feeling exactly the same. Like, okay, Tom, you're a nice guy, but, you know, really. And I know you can fix things, but come on. Right? So I get it. I get this, 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 this thing, you know. When you know somebody, it's hard to, 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 to make that connection. They couldn't get past the image that they had from Jesus from when he was a boy, their preconceived notions about who he was made it impossible for them to accept the message of who he is. There is this, this statement that I know you've heard. It says this, familiarity breeds contempt. Have you heard this statement before? Familiarity breeds contempt. It seems strange that such a nice concept like familiarity would create such an unpleasant emotion like contempt, doesn't it? I, I don't get it. How is that possible? Perhaps this is why we are so afraid as a community to let others see us as we really are because we are afraid of what familiarity may bring. Like if you really get to know me, if you really know who I am, then, then you won't like me. And I think there's a point in which all of us need to get real. <laughs> because we are never the image that we try to portray. Isn't that true? I cannot tell you. I'm just going to get, get really vulnerable with you. But there are times when I pray, God, please help me to be the person I pretend to be. How are we doing out there? This statement, familiarity breeds contempt, actually is from an old Italian proverb. 
By the way, did I mention Italy won the World Cup? I just want to make sure. That, you know. In Italian, would you like to hear what it sounds like in Italian? Confidenza toglie riverenza. Confidenza toglie riverenza. Which basically, if you were to, 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 to uh, translate it like word for word, literally, it means that familiarity removes reverence. It removes that feeling of awe. And this was the case with Jesus of Nazareth. And this was the case with Nazareth. What about you? Let's get real for a moment here. Is it possible that some of us who have had a lengthy exposure to Christianity should be alert to the dangers of familiarity? I know Nancy and I have done uh, weeks of prayers at different places, and this happens a lot in the academies. We'll, we'll notice, we'll, we'll start doing And one of the things we know that when we work with, with teenagers, we need to tell stories. We tell lots of stories. We know that stories engages them, and, and it connects with them. And so we start telling stories, and we try to get, get them. Sometimes we'll do something comical, something funny, but you know, we, we try to figure out how to connect with them. And they're laughing, and they're doing great. And then the moment we say, well, let's open now to Mark chapter... I was like, really? You're going to go there? Well, this is the whole point. <laughs> it's not about the stories. It's about the word. And it's not their fault. They've been inundated with this over and over and over again, and familiarity has bred, has bred contempt. Is it possible that we can become resistant to Jesus? Don't raise your hand, but is it possible that we can get to a point where we actually consider it a duty to read the Bible? That we actually consider it a duty to come to church and listen to the sermon? It's like what I have to do because I am a believer, but man, I wish I was home doing something else. Hey, just so you know, it happens to me too. And I have to guard against familiarity, breeding contempt with Christ every day of my life. Because I live it every day of my life. You understand what I'm saying to you, right? <clears throat> Is it possible that if we're not careful those of us who have been immunized by Christianity can become indifferent to its joys. That we can adapt like a limitating view. The, these people in, in Nazareth, they were limited by what they could see, by what they know, what, by what they could understand. What they had before them was the Messiah, the Son of God, and what they saw was the carpenter, the Son of Mary. You understand what I'm saying? They were limited by way, only what they could see, what they understood. We limit him. We limit Jesus when we look at things 
familiar things and situations and not believe that God can do anything about it. We limit him when we do that. We limit him when we see ourselves and we know ourselves too well and don't believe that God can use us to do great things. We limit him when that happens. We limit him when we look at our ministry over all these years and not believe that God can do anything to change it. We limit him when we see our church and not believe that God will bring revival and save the lost through us. We limit him. We limit him when we look at our unsaved friends and not believe that they can ever become Christians. We limit him whenever we do that with our family members. We limit him because we can't imagine beyond what we can see and what we can understand as humans. But God is bigger than the obvious. He is more powerful than the predictable. And he loves to give impossibility an inferiority complex. On a wall of a cathedral somewhere in Europe are these words. You call me master, but obey me not. You call me light, but you see me not. You call me the way, but you walk me not. You call me life and desire me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. If you are not blessed, blame me not. So ask yourself this morning, Has, has your picture of God dimmed because of familiarity? Has it become too routine? Are you living your Christian life on autopilot, maybe? You know what I mean by that, don't you? Autopilot? Anybody ever done autopilot in life? You know, when you first start driving, the key strategy is to develop awareness. You check the mirrors. You're conscious of, of where the acceleration pedal is, where the brakes are, where the signals are. And if you're learning manual transmission, which these days you don't learn that much anymore. But if you are, you, you know, you've got this stick and it's even more so. You have to be aware. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And there is no autopilot when you're starting. Let me tell you right now, man. You're like, my dad used to say this to me, the day will come, Sergio, that you will do all of this naturally. You won't even be thinking about it. You'll be on autopilot, he said. And that's the day you're going to really need to start being careful. Some of you drove to church today. But you don't remember putting on your blinkers or, 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 or turning, or you just know you got here. It just happened naturally. Isn't that true? That's doing life on autopilot. I don't know if you've ever driven to a destination and suddenly realized you missed the exit. 
right? Because, because you, you're thinking you're going somewhere else. You're just, your mind's going somewhere. You're on autopilot. Or you're pulling through a driveway and your hands are on the wheel and your eyes are open, but you have no idea how you got there. You ever had that happen to you? Yeah. Scary stuff, man. Have you ever brushed your teeth with something other than toothpaste? <laughs> Let me just tell you from experience, back pain medication does not work on your teeth. <laughs> it's very mentholated. And by the time you're done, you're all numb in your mouth. I'm just, you know, just saying. I've, I always pick up the tube now and I look at it. And I read it carefully. Just got to do it once, man, that's all. Have you ever applauded or said amen and not realized what you were applauding or saying amen to? Right? Autopilot. In fact, you realize you didn't even hear a thing. All right, yeah, okay, what, what was this for? This story in the book of Mark and, and other gospels reminds us that their true faith must always include an element of awe, an element of reverence, an element of understanding who God really truly is so when you read your Bible, stop reading it as a duty. Investigate it as if you are treasure hunting. Begin to change the way you look at these things. Discover for yourself who God is. Experience him. Not just, get, just, not, not just know about him. It, the facts are fun and they're nice. But God is way more than just the facts. You know that, right? Try something in your life that is so challenging that it forces you. It forces you to rely on Jesus. Too many times we do only what we can do. But if we do only what we can do, we remove the need for God. Christianity cannot be inherited. I believe that... Um, there are no grandchildren in God's kingdom, only children. So, the Bible says he could do no miracles there. I wonder how many broken hearts that could have been mended that day. I wonder how many captives to fear, insecurity or shame and guilt could have been set free. On that day. I wonder how many in bondage to habit. Captives to ego. And pride. Could have been released. I wonder how many blind. How many deaf. How many crippled could have been healed. I wonder how many people in this church. Could experience so much more. If God wasn't so familiar to us. But that we would rediscover the adventure of what Paul calls losing our first, oh, excuse me, not Paul, John says it. He's actually quoting Jesus, 
that we're losing our first love. Do you know that? Remember that in Revelation? Some of us, some of us have lost our first love. Maybe the reason some struggle to experience this power is because, uh, because familiarity has erased the reverence from our lives. We are so inundated with so many other things that we have forgotten what it means to stand on the shore and see the power of those waves and realize that God is the one that's holding him just this far, no farther. When I was a little boy, I was 12 years old, and I got, first time ever that I got to be on a ferry to go see the Statue of Liberty. It was a school trip. It was fun. Uh, I remember being there. There were, there were people from all, all different countries. I, I never, in Italy, you know, we, we were kind of sheltered from some of that, but I remember seeing Japanese and European tourists uh, uh, having cameras in their hands like weapons, you know. Just, it was just, everybody's like, oh, wow, you know, just unbelievable. As we approached this 300-foot colossal image of Lady Liberty, there was this thunderous applause from, from, from people on the boat. And I remember thinking, going, oh, wow, it is really big. And I glanced over my shoulder and noticed that the ferry crew was taking advantage of us having our eyes on Lady Liberty. And they were sweeping and cleaning as if, you know, like, yeah, whatever. We've seen it a thousand times. Lady Liberty had grown entirely too familiar to them and had lost its power to impress on the pedestal the last five lines of Emma Lazarus poem said these words give me your tired your poor your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refused of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed, to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. I think that's what church is about, don't you? Do you still believe that when you come to church that he is here? Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you come to church that he is here, he is moving in this place, that he is working in this place here, that he is touching and healing every heart? Do you believe that still? Do you believe that he still has the power to turn lives around? That he is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the promise keeper. Still, he is the light in the darkness. Do you believe that? Well, stand up and sing with me and ask God to make him 
and his glory new again to you and to us.
don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. When I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Forgive us, Lord, when we lose sight of who you are. Forgive us, Lord, when we lose the awe, the reverence. Please help us, Lord, that as we come together and as we study together and as we pray together and as we sing together, Lord, that it would actually increase our reverence not diminish it. I pray for each individual that is in this room right now, that is within an earshot of our voices, even online, Lord, I pray that anyone that hears these words would have a miracle in their lives. 
We love you and we thank you, Jesus, for doing this. And we ask it in his awesome name, Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sabbath. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Stay cool.